Psalms, chapter 78, verses 1 through 7. When you refer to the Psalms as a book, they're the Psalms. When you refer to them individually, it is Psalm. So Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7. You'll find it on the back of your sermon outline. A mascal of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. May God bless this reading of his word. And let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that on this Father's Day, you are our Father. And we thank you because we know how it is that you came to be our Father by sending your only begotten Son to be the propitiation of our sins, to give us redemption, justification, salvation. And Jesus, you sent your Holy Spirit to apply the work on the, of your work on the cross to us, giving us credit for what we did not do. And so we thank you. Now be with us so that we, without hindrance and distraction, though there are many around us, in us, and in the world, without any hindrance or distraction, let us hear your word preached clearly that we might be fed, nourished, and transformed as we see that you are our Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, well, we're not going to let a fine testimony like that go to waste. We're going to have a sermon about fathers today on Father's Day. Plus, it'd be unfair if we did a Mother's Day sermon last month and we didn't follow up with a Father's Day sermon. Actually, fathers get the shaft like that, so it's all right. We're dads. Um, you know, we actually live in an age where it's common to mock fathers and fatherhood, isn't it? Tell me the last time you saw a good depiction of a good father on TV. Uh, we've gone from old 1950s, father knows best, to today, father's a moron. And in the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, the father, if there is a father at all, lots of times they've just written him out completely, but if there is a father, he's just a buffoon. But today, we're going to look at the Bible and see what God has to say about fatherhood. I want you to have a biblical, God-filled view of fatherhood, you know, because it's important. It's so important. You know, Abby, my uh, daughter, turned 10 this week, and, and uh, we're, ta- just, we're talking about superheroes. She loves superheroes. I mean, never mind My Little Pony and all that other stuff. She loves watching superhero movies, comic books, um, you know, just TV shows, loves them. And uh, where'd she get it from, you know? Just uh, where else would she have gotten it from? And I ask her, Abby, you know, just I'm curious, at school, uh, do you have any, are there any girls who like superheroes as much as you do? And she goes, no, none of them like superheroes. 
And I know more than the boys do, boys do Appa. Appa's daddy, a Korean for daddy. So, you know, so the nerd in me is just happy that my daughter just outpaces the boys on superheroes and everything. But then I, I'm like, okay, I know where she's getting all of this stuff from. And then I got a little worried. What else is she getting from me? So, with all this father stuff going on in my, my head and my heart as I prepare for the message, I ask her, Abby, what does Appa love most? And it's a dangerous question because if you're going to ask a kid something, be ready to reap the whirlwind, all right? Because you don't know what's going to come out of their mouths. So, she, Abby, uh, for our upstairs neighbor who used to be a member of our church, Jared, you know, she found out it was his birthday one day and said, oh, I'm going to draw a birthday card for him with his favorite thing. And she goes and draws a beer mug. <laughs> so, so, so he goes, I think, I, I think this is telling me something. <laughs> so I just, I, I hold my breath waiting to hear her response. And she's wondering if I'm messing with her because I do that a lot too. You know, just, Abby, what would you like better, a sixth finger or a tail? You know, just something like that. And then she realizes I'm serious. So she's about to say, Amma, which is Korean for mommy, but then she pauses and says, Appa, you love God most. You know, and can you imagine a better gift for Father's Day? You know, a father's influence for God reaches the second third, and fourth generation, as we see in this text, with amazing potential for good, but also horrific potential for harm and devastation. So, you know, one last thing before we jump in. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said that no other earthly relationship colors and informs our understanding of God as much as our relationship with our earthly father. Now, this means that we all come from vastly different starting points. And as I speak from the Word of God about fathers, I know that some of you have lost your good fathers. Hear this message and give thanks for the gift that you were given. Some of you didn't have very good fathers. And I call you to hear this message and give thanks that He is your Heavenly Father. And some of you are raising your children Without a good, godly father, remember that God promised that he would be father to the fatherless. And so this message is for you as well. He is our great father in heaven. So the three points to today's message. Pay attention, fathers and grandfathers. Pass on what you know. What do you know? And hope, remembrance, and obedience are the goals. So... Pay attention, dads and granddads. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. Give ear, incline your ears. He's saying, listen to what? Dark things of old, magical, mysterious, weighty things. And he's saying, study fatherhood. Do you study? Have you ever studied fatherhood? You know, mothers have books and classes and groups. You know, what to expect when you're expecting is probably on as many shelves as the Bible in this country. It's even been translated into Spanish. Que puedes esperar cuando estás esperando. 
All right, so who's got it? Hands up. Who's got it? Anyone? No, really? All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, you know, you have MOPS groups, Mothers of Preschool Children. You have Facebook pages. Even our church has a Mothers of North Shore Facebook page. Where are the dads' Facebook pages? Where are the FOPS groups? All right, just, that doesn't quite work, but, you know, just... How many classes in high school did you take or college on being a father? Health class doesn't count. Being able to get someone pregnant doesn't qualify you to be a father. Asaph really takes this matter seriously, and so should you. And he's going on, continuing on the Bible the old, in the Old Testament. Pro- Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. It's great to think that John Nordberg might have read this himself 186 times before leaving for college. What a legacy. You know, this is the Old Testament understanding of fatherhood. No concept of absentee fatherism, but full engagement. And yet in America, we have one in three children living apart from their biological fathers. And comedian Chris Rock opines and laments about the state of affairs in families. And he comments on the incredible impact having a father can have and the devastating impact not having a father can have. As he talks about just broken families, as he talks about just teenage moms that are growing with children out of wedlock. And once in a comedy sketch, he said, if a kid called his grandma mommy and his mama Pam, he's going to jail. Now, it's really funny in this comedy sketch, but it's a tragedy because it's reality. Now, also talking about the impact that fathers have on their children, the Swiss government, and I don't know why the Swiss federal government did this study, but they studied parents who go to church and how that translates into children who go to church. And in short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotion, if she goes every single week, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. That's 2% of kids. But if a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's the Swiss. I'm not going to really trust them for much besides chocolate, cheese, and watches. But let's look. Who's Swiss here? Who did I just offend? I'm so sorry. <laughs> but man, I love your chocolate, cheese, and watches. <laughs> so um, this is why we hired a Korean pastor. Race reconciliation. Um, but the Southern Baptists, all right? Love them. They did a study in America. And if a child is the first in the family to become a Christian, there's a 3.7% chance that the rest of the family will become Christians. So if a child comes to our VBS in two weeks, three weeks, 
becomes a Christian, there's a 3.7% probability that the rest of the family might become Christians. It's bigger if a mom becomes. If a mom is the first in the family to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability that the rest of the family will follow. That's six times greater, all right, because we see the impact that a mother has. But if a dad is the first in the family to become a Christian, there's a 93% probability that the, rest, that, the fam- family, excuse me, that the rest of the family will follow his lead. 93%. Now, I'm with Reagan. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. So you guys who have one of these situations that are not the optimal, who do you think populate that percentage who become churchgoers? And it's those who are faithful worshipers of the living God, who are ravished by his love and understand what he has done. All right, so we're not playing the numbers game here. But what these things show us, point to us, is a truth from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 Paul talks about marriage and how it is this glorious picture of Christ and his church. And it is a mystery, but then he ends with verse 33. Still has something to do with marriages, too. Let each one of you husbands love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The husband is called to love the wife, and the wife is called to respect the husband. And what we're seeing here is that God created us wonderfully and yet differently. Certainly biologically. Again, good job, Jill. But he, also, but, he did, but he did also give us unique gifts to be husband and wife and to be father and mother. You know, where is love most clearly shown in the family except in the nurture, the care, and the affection of the mother? And so when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, he is saying, give your wives the fuel and the ammunition that they need with which to show this great love. And he says of wives, respect your husbands, giving them fuel and ammunition for the authority and leadership that he exercises sacrificially for the family. And so God has raised Husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, as two different and yet wonderful gifts with which children are to be raised. You know, I used to get in trouble as a kid. Shocker, I know. And when I'd get in trouble, my mom would yell at me. And I'd roll with it, maybe continue doing what I got in trouble for, especially if it was making fun of my brothers or something. It wasn't until my mother said, wait until your father comes home that fear and terror gripped my soul. All right? And he's sons who can just uh, agree, understand, wait until your father gets home. Yeah, someone back there is just raising his hand. Seems like a young kid too, so it's probably still happening. Um, (laughs) I know my father loved me, but it's my mother's affection and nurture that I remember. And I know that my mother had authority over me But it is my father's leadership and command that I remember. What Asaph is saying in these first verses is the divine order of things. Not in a totalitarian way or in an absolute fashion, 
but in this expression of God's wisdom and kindness and love to us. That we have roles we are not to abandon. I could go on much longer about moms, but you had your sermon last month. So, fathers, pass on what you know. So what do you know? Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. Asaph is emphasizing the glorious deeds of the Lord his might and the wonders he has done, and his law. But unless they are treasure to you, words are just words and meaningless. I'll give you an example, all right? What if I told the way that I taught Abby about Captain America? He was a reject who didn't get into the army for World War II, but they shot him up with some drug, and he got strong and got fixed up, got a costume, got a cool shield, and he uh, just almost died saving the world. But then later on, they got him out of the frozen ice block. And, you know, how would that, would she love comic books? Would she love Captain America after that description? Or was it something a little closer to Captain America is awesome? All right, he's like 70 years old, and he was so strong that they carved him out a block of ice, and he's still alive. And he's got the best costume, red, white, and blue, best colors ever. And his shield, that round thing, it's not just metal. It can't break. The movies, it's vibranium from the African country of Wakanda. But in the comics, it's an adamantium vibranium alloy. It's one of a kind. Even Thor couldn't bend the shield. Is it any wonder that she loves comics, right? If you love this, then the words mean something. So have you been acquainted with the law? Can you articulate joy, your personal joy, at the glorious deeds of the Lord? Or can you, can you share in a way that your kid can understand his might and wonders How about his character and attributes, his goodness, his faithfulness, his loving kindness? You know, just uh, when Abby was young, you know, just the Jesus Storybook Bible was a very helpful aid. We have it down in, I think we have it in the book table. Well, if not, we'll order it. This is not the English translation. This is Istoa Jezi Non Bibla. I have no idea what language that is. Someone, some, a Portuguese woman thought it was Spanish, but it's not Spanish. I know Spanish, so, so I'm guessing it's also not Portuguese. If anyone wants to tell me what language this is, I don't know why it's Tay, in Tay's office. But I use this with Abby. And the way that the Jesus Storybook Bible describes the love of God, it uses this language. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that expression is in every chapter of the book. And so we get a way that we would say it, and she would say it along with me, and we'd say it excitedly. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. 
it's probably not the right thing to read with her before trying to put her to bed, so just, uh, but still. See, I asked Abby, how do you know that Appa loves God most? And she replied, because you're always telling me about him, and I know you're always trying to tell others about him. And what she left out is that when we pray together, I'm always telling about Abby to God, too. You know, John loves saying, more is caught than taught. That our children learn more from observing their parents than they do from the words that they hear their parents say. And so what is it that they're seeing? You know, just I want to call on you, men of this church, to follow me, the pastors and the elders of this church, because we love to model this, all right? Like Sunday school, Bill Melcher, I so appreciate week after week, you're with them with the junior, the junior high school kids, or Rob Pomeroy every week for the fourth and fifth graders, he sends out an email to the parents letting them know what was studied, what was the discussion, and he sends out some weird stuff too, like there was one time he was talking about Constantine and what ha- was happening in the church at that time. All right, so, or exegesis versus eisegesis. Who knows what those mean? Yeah, so, all right, so we got, we got one. So, probably because your daddy taught you what it meant. And unless you're excited about what your kids are learning about at church, how are they going to be? Where is your Captain America shield moment with them? We're going to church. All right, let me, I'm going to ask you to think about things in a new way. All right, vacations. I know that vacations often, you know, just fall over during a Sunday now because just the airlines, they have it in for the church. You need a weekend in there. You need a Sunday in there to get a better airfare. And so we go to Florida from a Friday to a Friday. And most times, then church gets skipped during, over that. But is it possible that our children are hearing, are learning a message, that they're catching something we don't intend to teach them, that God doesn't go on vacation with us? Who in their right minds would try to say something like that to their kids? All right, so what if we tried doing something a little different? I found a church in Orlando, a PCA church like ours. And we love going there. We've been there like three or four times. We hit it before a cruise and after a cruise. So we wind up missing two Sundays up here, but we try to get down there so we can hit the church on Sunday before we board the ship, and then we come back. Not that we go on that many cruises, but, you know, so, or it's not too far from Disney World and all of that stuff. And it's our church, Abby calls it our church away from home, and we are excited whenever we get to go and praise there. And now, wherever we go, whether it's in Pennsylvania or Delaware or Virginia, if vacation is also on, covers the Sunday, we start looking and we start saying, where is there a church that loves Jesus Christ like we do? Is that something that we can give to our children? And you see that you're modeling something that, honestly, we're just getting from Jesus. In John 5, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. 
And so to present, to show, to model for our children the love that we have for the Lord. And he states it beautiful in a positive way. We will tell it to the coming generation. Meaning we are going to do this intentionally. You know, in your bulletins, you have uh, in the reflection, put a song from the trio of pastors, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Pastor John Tay and I would wish that we could actually record albums and make some bank off of singing together, but you've heard us. It's not going to happen. And in their song, I want to be just like you, they say, Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. And we can universalize this. No reason to leave daughters out. And to parents showing this kind of love for the very reason that they will see it and learn it from us. And if we don't show this to them, how can we expect any other outcome? Asaph makes it clear that it's possible in verse 4 to hide them from our children, these great deeds, these glorious works and the law. And how does this happen? What obscures our communication of the gospel with our children? Isn't it our indifference and our inconsistency? We see our indifference. If you're not doing this, if you're not leading your children in family worship, Will they be great worshipers on their own when they go away from uh, first college or grad school or move out of the house? Will they know to do this for their own children? Or our inconsistency, and let's just call it hypocrisy. When they see us saying one thing to them, but then doing something else. You know, kids today hate inauthenticity more than anything else. It's like if the 60s were all about, like, you know, rebellion and sticking it to the man, this generation is all about what is authentic. They'd rather have a lie that's lived authentically than someone's truth lived hypocritically. And so, how are we hiding this glorious truth from our kids? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. You know, Ephesians and Paul in two different places talks about this. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. Fathers, do not provoke your kids to anger, all right? Do not exasperate your kids in inappropriate use of the authority of fathers. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in love for the Lord, so that they become encouraged by your leadership, by your guidance. And we see in verse 6, through the generations, God will take who you are and transfer it to all these little kids that run up here like a mob during service to be prayed over. And he will use them as future generations, as the leaders of the church into the 22nd, 23rd century. And lest we think that this is far away from us, what's four generations? That's Robert to John. To Harper, to Harper's children. 
How much do you long that Harper's children love the Lord? This is not far from us. This is so very near. To cast a vision, an Abrahamic vision of having a generation after generation, a lifelong, generations-long pursuit of God. But what's the ultimate end of all of this? What's the point? What do we want to see in our children? And it's our final point. Hope, remembrance, and obedience are the goals. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So that. See, in the Old Testament, if you see that phrase, that expression, so that, it's the same as in the New Testament, therefore. It's summing up everything that just came before. And this is the punch. What is the punch? What is Asaph talking about? He says, show, teach, remind, keep this up so that our children hope, remember, and keep. See, it's not just about the transfer of doctrine and knowledge. All of that is important. And for those of you who that is a passion, thank you. But it is more than that. See, our understanding of the Bible should erupt in hope, in remembrance, and in keeping of the commandments. J.A. Packer put it this way, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. You don't have a real relationship with a judge though, do you? But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And so this first thing, hope in God. What's our hope? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the God of hope. Our hope is that we are new creations being made in the image of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And hope is what we need in this world, brothers and sisters. Because if the world is all we're seeing, then all we have are Orlandos and ISIS and alligators and wars and rumors of war and sadness. If that's all there is, be afraid. Be very afraid. But we want our children and their children, and their children's children to always hope in the risen Lord Jesus Christ so that like Pastor John prayed, what can you take away from me that I haven't already given to the Lord? We want them to see He is our hope. And what happens? What happens if you see the world and act as if God is your loving Father? See, John said what happens. 1 John chapter 3, he's talking about all these great things, and then he has to stop. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are, his beloved children. That is what we are, our existence, our identity. We have a God, and he is our Father. And we have to remember that. See, that hope leads, leads to remembrance. This is what Asaph is saying. What are the works of God? Well, in the Old Testament, it was creation. It was the flood. It was the rescue from Egypt. It was the parting of the Red Sea. It was going from death to life. What 
they had was safe passage through judgment and the constitution of them as the nation Israel. Those were the great works of the Lord that they were called to remember. But we know that all those things and all of, of Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so what do we have? We have in Jesus Christ the new creation that we are in Him. And in Him we have the rescue, not from Egypt, not from just slavery, but the slavery and bondage from sin to freedom. Now we have not death but life. Now we have not just being made an earthly nation, but being the people of God. And we see that the cross is safe passage, not through a sea, but through the judgment of God. And how? How is it that we have this? And we, you and I, we know that we only have this because our loving Father in heaven sent his only begotten Son to live the sinless life and instead of taking up for himself what he deserved, laid down his life so that we sinners who deserve death would receive what only he had earned. He laid it down that we might be called sons and daughters of God. And in the book of Acts, explains that for this, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone for whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. That great Abrahamic promise. To which the only reply is the words that we're going to be singing in our closing song. We are your sons. We are your daughters. Hallelujah. We are who you say we are. You know, this world would have us say that our identity is what we come up with. We are original. But even this world looks to other people for our favorite identities. You are my wife. You are my husband. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my father. You are my mother. You are my friend. We're always looking for our identity somewhere else. And here we are seeing our truest identity. We are his. And so, we're called to live this life, modeling it and showing it, so that our children pick it up, far better than our preference in, our, in movies. All right, Elder Young Kim, when they were scoping out just churches for their family to come to, Ryan asked the question, but does this, does this church go on missions? Yes, you asked that. It was four years ago. You've forgotten. <laughs> so he asked because his father had already taken him on mission trips. Young has been on 18 mission trips so far, and he has taken, Ryan, I forget, you said six or eight up till now. Can you, see, can you imagine something more beautiful that our children take up that call to share the gospel with others? And so going to church while you're on vacation is a great thing. But going like the Roseros now, this fourth year in a row, going all four of them to Haiti, a short-term mission trip. What are they doing? They know their hope, and they are remembering the work of Jesus Christ. And through them, through the parents, into their children, they are going. 
so that those lucky women that Danny and Josh Rosero will meet and marry will see in their husbands fathers for their children who will teach the very same thing. This is so near to us. Like that stupid fire alarm. All right? So, I'll speak louder. In JFK, John F. Kennedy, there's this great picture that I, that, uh, that's out there where he's hiding in the Oval Office underneath his father's desk, the Resolute desk. And I can imagine, I mean, this is a room that is for heads of state, kings and presidents and prime ministers come. Can you imagine a Nikita Khrushchev coming in and saying, boy, get out of this room. What are you doing here? Sorry, my Scottish is better than my, German, my uh, Russian. All right? <laughs> the German is yelling at me. So, and maybe little Junior sees this great big scary Russian and says, I'm out. Or maybe he remembers, this is my father's room. You get out. To remember who we are. And to live that life remembering who you are in Jesus Christ because of what he has done. And will you let that remembrance overflow into your children so that they have the same hope knowing and remembering this truth? Kathy, can I have the Packer quote? J.I. Packer in Knowing God, fantastic book, kind of long. Read the chapter on, ad- on adoption. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you revel in your adoption? Do you understand your Christianity? Because if you do that, then you will be able to show your children obedience in God, saying, because of what Jesus has done, let's try to do what Jesus would do, not grudgingly, but lovingly. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. You know, I said at the beginning, and I'll say again, if you're in that category of not having a father in the family to share this with the children, remember that God is your father too. And he is the hope that you can share. Having God as our Father trumps our every situation and setback and difficulty. Whether you are a father or mother, you can say along with Abraham that I want to start a line generations long whose greatest goal and hope is knowing and loving God. So that we can all together say with Joshua, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our Father. Because of what you have sent, your Son, 
our Savior to do. Jesus, we thank you for making us your brothers and sisters. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for reminding us of this, this ultimate truth. We thank you and call us and cause us to live this out boldly and beautifully for the second, the third, and fourth generations in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.